Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, said Jesus. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have been found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the word of the Lord. The wonder of his sacrifice. It's an interesting title. We don't normally reserve the word wonder for the bloody sacrifice of our King Jesus on behalf of our sins. We normally reserve the word wonder for things like Christmas, for things like the Northern Lights or the Rocky Mountains. Those are the things we reserve the word wonder for. I don't know about you, but maybe um, you're coming in this morning or this afternoon and you've been a Christian for a long time. You've celebrated maybe even decades of holy weeks. You've, you've set aside Good Friday to recall that day and it's a little intimidating for the goal to be the wonder of his sacrifice. So how do we stir up wonder this week? How do we sit before such a hard night, a dark night in many ways? Yes, good news for what it means for us as Christians, but how do we sit before that and wonder at his sacrifice? I think the first thing we need to do is, is really recall in many ways the truth of that sacrifice. And that won't necessarily stir up our affections, it oftentimes stays in our head. 
But this afternoon, I hope and I pray that this service, the music, sitting under God's word, will really cause us as his people to wonder at his sacrifice. First, our desperate need for it. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The desperate need that we had for this sacrifice of Jesus is because we were dead in our sins. The whole refrain of the Old Testament is that behavior modification is not going to work no matter how many times God rescues his people from slavery in other nations. Moral behavior was not going to change. Their hearts needed to be changed. Their hearts were dead. Colossians 1 says that we were hostile in our minds. So not only were we dead in our sins, but there was no neutral ground. We were enemies of God. It is not only right and good to say that Jesus died for sinners, we can also say Jesus died for his enemies. Some of the very ones who mocked him that afternoon and that evening were the ones he came to rescue. Jesus died for his enemies. But that wasn't only the part of our desperate need. The corruption reached all of us. As we gather today and we celebrate Holy Week, as we participate in the community of believers, there is not one believer that Jesus didn't have to die for. All of us were dead in our sins. There was no other sufficient sacrifice than Jesus Christ himself. Romans 3 talks about this, Psalms 14, 1 through 3, Psalm 53, 1 through 3. There is no one good, not even one. Sometimes we come to Good Friday, and I think even in our hearts we go, was it, wow, was it really necessary that he did all that? The perfect son of God, the only one innocent, he had to do all of that? There's no one good, not even one. Lastly, Romans 5, 6 through 9, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Our desperate need was not for a better life. Our desperate need for Jesus to come was not so that maybe we would have a better shot at a more fulfilled life, a more purposeful life. Our desperate need for Jesus to come as that sacrifice was because the wrath of God was aimed directly at us as his enemies. When Jesus is in the garden and he asked God to take the cup, the cup is a picture in the Old Testament that God used of pouring out his wrath 
on the sins of the people. Jesus, creator of the universe, was distraught, even to the point of death. He was sweating blood. He was so stressed out, not because of the, horrendous, or the horrific execution of a crucifixion, but because he knew that wrath. He had seen it. He knew it was aimed directly at him. He was going to bear our sins. Second thing, besides our desperate need to think through, to remember the truth of that day, is that it was 100% voluntary. John chapter 10 says, no one takes it from me. This is Jesus talking. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Herman Bavink put it this way in Wonderful Works of God. He said, and just so the death of Christ is a revelation of his kingly power, for his death was not a fate he had to undergo, but a deed which he himself willingly and voluntarily achieved. There's a lie in our world today that the crucifixion was some kind of divine child abuse sending his son to die on behalf of the people, but that neglects two things. First of all, it neglects what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Nobody takes it from me, but I willingly lay it down. As we wonder at his sacrifice, hear his words, I came after you. I did this willingly for you because you were dead in your sins. You were hostile in your minds towards God, and the wrath of God was pointed directly at you. I did this for you. And the second reason it's not divine child abuse is the nature of the Trinity. Jesus says, I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. I do this on my own accord. And so maybe like me this year, you're struggling a little bit. You're struggling a little bit to stir that wonder. Don't just remember the desperate need. Also look, he did it voluntarily on your behalf. As we wonder his sacrifice this afternoon, it's one thing to recall what the Bible says is the truth of what happens. I think oftentimes what stirs my affection for my king, Jesus, what stirs my heart for him as I think about that day is also recalling the stories of the lives that that crucifixion changed. Back in 2007, I had the opportunity to go work at an overnight camp up in the mountains of Pennsylvania. And at this camp, they would bring in uh, kids that came from all kinds of really tough backgrounds. And as counselors, we always looked forward to Wednesday night, because Wednesday night was crosstalk. And on Wednesday night, we would put on a play, a drama, that would depict many of the circumstances that these kids were coming from. And at some point in that drama, a friend would sit down with the person who was struggling, and they would recall Good Friday. They would recall the sacrifice of Jesus, and as they did that, the scene would change, the set would even change. And we'd put on a passion play for these kids. 
We'd be out in the woods, the crickets were chirping, it's under the stars, torch lit. And you can imagine the feeling that that would put the kids into. To be able to watch as this friend recalls what happened that night and they watch a depiction of Jesus being crucified. And I remember on the first time I had crosstalk night at the end, we'd, the counselors would sit around the, the bonfire and kids could come up to us and share what the Lord had kind of done in their hearts that night. And I watched as uh, one of the, my toughest campers came down and he sat next to me and he sat there quietly. I said, hey man, what, what's happening? How can, I, how can I pray for you? And he just continued to sit and so I began to pray for him. And when I was done praying, he looked over at me and he said, I'm in a gang and I want out. He was 13 years old. And so the next day we began to talk about what does that look like to, to follow Jesus and to, to get out of this gang. And he shares with me and the director and he says, I'm, I've got to go and be beaten by the gang. And if I live, they'll let me out. And I'll never forget, the director looked him in the eye and he said, are you ready for that? He said, yes, sir, I, I believe I am. He had seen, he had seen with his eyes and even heard in some ways with his ears the gospel preached after this. He had seen a depiction of Jesus on that day being crucified and sacrificed for his sins. And not only did it make him want to repent and turn from his life, but it filled him with courage. It filled him with courage to step into whatever God might call him to. And God used that young man to bring many others in that gang to the Lord, to youth group, to hear the good news of the gospel. He had seen, he had wondered at the sacrifice and his life was changed. He saw the sacrifice and he said in his heart, that's for me. That's for my sin. And his life was not the same. But maybe in this room, your story is a little bit more like mine. Guys, I'm gonna be honest, I was a really good kid. And my parents are in the room, and I feel good saying that. They may correct me afterwards. But I grew up thinking I could do it on my own. Good Friday was really hard for me looking back. It was really hard for me to feel, feel the weight of that day. Why? I felt like I was doing just fine. We have a two-year-old right now, and he's in this phase where all he says, uh, not all he says, but very often what he'll say is, I got it. I got it. And so you'll be carrying him up the stairs because all you want to do is get to the finish line and put him to bed, and he says, I got it. And then he takes 900 seconds a step to make his way up the step. But what's interesting is when you pick him up, to move things along, he throws a tantrum. He screams. So not only did Jesus come on that day and die for the rebel, but he died for the one who would look at that sacrifice and say, no, nah, I, I got it. I got it. And the sin of my own heart was that I would look at Good Friday and I would see it and I'd go, I just don't think that's necessary. I can cover this one with my good works. The wonder of his sacrifice, yes, it, it, it takes us into his word and we see the truth of what the crucifixion means, but we can also spend time 
recalling the change in our lives and others. When the weight of my sin finally hit, all of a sudden then I, I go, I, I can't cover this on my own. Do I have the audacity to think that, I, that good works was sufficient and yet God somehow came and died on my behalf? And we, we get to look and to see the change in those lives and then all of a sudden that same effort, those same good works are completely re-energized because that you see this sacrifice completely necessary to cover your self-righteousness. You see the heart of Jesus who did it willingly on his own. And then, and then you are motivated to go today. Yes, search God's word over and over again. It will define for you what today actually means. But if you're having a little trouble moving that from the head to the heart, then see the power of the crucifixion and recall the amount of changed lives around you. All throughout history, again and again, people see the crucifixion for what it means. And their lives are completely, completely changed. What would it look like as the people of God if we spent some of Good Friday testifying to one another, testifying in our hearts and worshiping God for what he did on that day? I want to leave you with a thought on Good Friday. It's a thought that I've been uh, wrestling with for a little bit um, this week, into this week, and it's not a thought I'll wrestle with every Good Friday, but it is, a, it is an idea, a thought that I believe that Scripture asks and echoes. First, let me read Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Looking primarily at verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The thought that I've been processing this week is if Jesus is the supreme king of the universe, the rescuer of our souls, if he's the perfect spotless lamb, the one who sacrificed himself on our behalf in one of the most glorifying moments of his life was to lay his life down and a gruesome crucifixion for his people. What does that mean my life should look like as one of his followers? Again, if, if Jesus is the king of the universe, the savior of our souls, 
If he's the one who came and in the most glorifying moment in the gospels, second maybe only to the resurrection, if, if the most, one of the most glorifying moments in his life was the crucifixion, then what should my life look like as one of his followers? See, I think we can come to Good Friday and we can gaze again through, through Scripture, through our memory, through song. We can look back on that day and I think it should remind us in some ways of what our life should look like. The call to the Christian life is, is not the call here and now to, to this promised glorious living. It's not a, a form of leadership that looks down and, and directs and leads with power. It is the suffering servant. It is the one who laid himself down for many. The one who voluntarily gave his life. How does that inform my parenting? How does that inform my life as a husband? How does that inform my work, my call? How does that inform everyday little interactions that I have with people? God did not come in the flesh and then lord his power over others he came as the spotless lamb and we look we look on good friday and we see his suffering and we see the power of his sacrifice and it should inform our day to day this good friday what does it look like to reflect on that day and to pray, to beg Jesus, Lord, would you make me more like you? Lord, how could I, as one of your followers, plan on this glorious life? How could I, as one of your followers, have this picture of only goodness, no suffering, when you are my king and your whole life was ordered around coming to lay down your life for us. What would change? I want to end today if you're here and, and maybe you came with a friend. Maybe you came because of the tradition of Good Friday. But maybe for the first time today, the cross is wondrous. Maybe you're, you're thinking back and you, you heard as Maria read the passage, the story of his crucifixion, and you go, he came for me. He came and he died for me, for my sin. I can't fix it. I've been trying for years. My only hope is that the perfect blood of the spotless lamb would wash over all of my sin and wash me whiter than snow. When God had this plan from the beginning, he knew, he knew I couldn't fix it on my own. I see it, Jesus, I see the cross, and I desperately need it. I need you, Lord, to cover my sin and forgive me. 
There is no better day, friend, than Good Friday to see his work on the cross and to accept it, to agree with him that you are a sinner and to accept it forever and ever and to give him your very life. He said why he was here to take up your cross daily and come after me. There was so much brokenness represented in this room, so much hardship. There's so much relationship tension in this room, broken relationships. And so often I think we're looking for a quick fix and the call as believers is just to do what Jesus did. It's to die. It's to set aside ourselves and to lay down our lives for the people that God has put around us. That's the kind of life he's called us to live, and Good Friday every single year reminds us of that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice that allows us to be justified and adopted. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice as our king, as our creator, which you came and you put on flesh and you suffered, you suffered the agony of the cross for us. Thank you. But today, as we look back on that day, would you help us? Would you sanctify us? Would you help us to remember the, the, the definitions of everything that that means for us? Would you help us to recall the lives changed, our own lives changed? And Lord, as we move forward, as we move forward into our life, Lord, would you help us to remember what kind of king we serve? And Lord, would you help us every single day to be more like you? Lord, if there's anyone in this room who does not know you yet, who has not experienced that cross being applied to their life, your work on the cross being applied to their life, then Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you would open up their hearts, that they would see that day for what it means. And that like many of us here, and many of the people that we know, Lord, their lives would be changed forever. Father, would you do this because of what your son did on our behalf? Would you do this for his glory and his honor? Would you use this day to awaken dead hearts and to adopt them into your family? Would you help plug them into our church? Would you help us to teach them everything you taught us on how to live? Father, do this, remembering that day with us. Work, spirit, move, and awaken hearts. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For a time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. 
Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are justly punished, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.